Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. It's September 1st, 2019, and we are so pleased to have you back with us in our chronological study of Daniel, which is, uh, uh, the intent, of course, is the chronological look at it and how it compares with other things, of course, in the Bible. And <clears throat> since uh, the proper order of the writings in Daniel, uh, the prophetic book of Daniel, is the theme of this study, then I'd like to add to this uh, an observation for consideration also that um, um, one of the reasons why we can see so clearly that Daniel is not only a Jewish writing for the Jewish covenant people, but also that it is, it is part of what they needed, and it also uh, fits precisely with the writings in the so-called New Testament, um, also written to the Jews, and those Gentile Christians that came uh, during that those last days. So let's, I wanted to look at and give you a comparison here of why I think this is so important and why we can see that the writings of Daniel, of course, uh, preceded the writings in the New Testament, not just from a quick look, but from a real look. Uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel 8.26, <coughs> written about 551 B.C., and that's interesting because these dates you're going to see uh, um, uh, are much different, of course, than our New Testament dates. Daniel 8:26. Um, and of course it says here, and the vision of the evening and morning that was mentioned is true. And do thou seal the vision for it is for many days. Now, of course, this is what Daniel heard said, and it was instructions as far as he was concerned for him. Um, and this is for many days ahead. Um, and you know, these are the phrases that we need to remember uh, when we look at the scriptures. So shut up the vision, or in other words, Say no more and write no more about what you have seen and heard in this vision. What you have written, you, let it stand. But this is the end of what you're going to put down, basically. Neil? Yes. There's a grammar issue that's in interesting, I think, okay. possibly here. In verse 26, that was mentioned, is true. Now that first is, is in the text. The yeah. second is, is not in the text. That's right. But the first is, is in what we call an intransitive verb. And you can, you can put equal signs over that is when it's an intransitive verb. It means that what is true now was true, will be true, and is true. Every time you look at it, it will always be true prophetically, historically, or whatever, it is true. It can't be changed. It will always be true. That's the 
emphasis there in that first is for for many days. That second is is not there. So, first of all, what you're saying is valid now, was valid in the past, and will be valid in the future. It is always true because truth is always true in no matter what time zone it's in. And the second one, he's simply emphasizing, do not seal the vision for, for many days. So that has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. It has to do with seal it up for now so that it can't be seen. Right. Okay. And, and that, that's good. I'm glad you brought that up uh, because the issue of true there is very important. Uh, what was seen and heard was true. Yep. And it was still true <laughs> during the New Testament time. It's still true today. Yes. The prophetic, today, of course. the prophetic side of it has been fulfilled, but it's still true. Mm-hmm. The, the effect of it is still true. Yeah, in historical account. That. That's right. Yeah. Which kingdom is being spoke of in this? Is this, uh, um, is this Greece here in particular? Chapter 8? Uh, I'd have to go back yeah. to, to see that just exactly. Um, it's uh, towards the it's towards the end of the chapter. I was wondering which, which kingdom is being talked about specifically or in, well, let's specifically see, that, that's in chapter 8. Chapter 8 is... Uh, well, it ends prophetically, of course, mm-hmm. at, at the end of days for the Jews. Vision, vision of the kingdoms once again. Yeah. Um, so it, it's talking about the history all the way through. Okay. Because it's, it begins in 551, so we're already in the Persian, mm-hmm. time of the Persian. Yeah. And what again is to steal the vision? What? Oh, important. To seal it is to reveal no more than has been written uh, or proclaimed. He wasn't to go on. And I've always contended that I think Daniel saw and heard a lot more than he recorded because he was told at certain points, say, you'll go this far and no further. Uh, and he asked, he asked a number of times, what does this mean, or, or when will these things be? And, and um, as we're going to read even here today, he was told that uh, this isn't for now. Do you use any sandwich bags in your house? Sure. With the zip clothes? Yes. Well, this is, a, this is a, another word for Ziploc. <laughs> the first Ziploc. Yeah. Yeah, it's the first sandwich bag ever invented was right here. Seal up. How many times have we talked about and and realized together uh, the effectiveness of not saying or of saying just the right about, but but not too much. Yep. As to muddy the message or confuse it or make it overly complicated. And that's and I think that reigns true here. I think, like Neil suggested here, the uh, the. Daniel was very cautious in not saying more than he not he was cautious in not saying what all that he saw, but cautious enough also to be true to what he did see that he could report. There, there's always a fine balance there. 
But I want to continue with this question because there's something that I want to know. So we're saying that sealed up means that he didn't, he didn't say all that he knew because obviously these, this was all scribed, whether it was scribed by him or someone else. And so it wasn't sealed up. I mean, it was given, it was passed on to be read. The Jews knew about Daniel's message. They knew about Daniel's prophecy. Maybe they, some of them ignored it, maybe, but some of them didn't. Some of them were, were waiting for this. Well, no, and I think we have to understand that as far as um, the, what latitude these prophecies have, it comes from heaven, not from, even not from Daniel. As, as, uh, as good a man as he was, this isn't a decision he could make. Right. Got it. So when he was told to seal the vision and go no further, uh, obviously that, that was meant to be um, a command, and he did so. And, let, and let's not forget that later on in the book of Revelation, John was told the exact opposite. He said, don't seal these things up. That's right. Because that was the time that this right here was speaking about, pro prophetically 70 A.D. Don't seal these things up because they aren't for many days. They're, they're right yeah. now. That's so right. And don't that's put the sandwich in the bag. Leave it out and eat it. <laughs> yeah, when it's time to eat it, it's time to eat it. So and that, that's my comparison here. I want to show that not everything... Not, not what we find in Daniel's prophecy is a whole lot of things, almost more than we can tolerate, just like it's almost more than he could tolerate. But there was a limit to it, and it was in part. It was in part. But remember, we're going to get to, when we get to the 12th chapter, we'll find that, you know, uh, that knowledge will increase in the latter days. And knowledge, because they're seeing the things happen that the Old Testament chronicled. Um, knowledge would increase, okay? And, and then when we get to Revelation, I, I got a couple passages there this morning. Um, so you, you get the, the concept here. Um, there's some things that are reserved by God from heaven. Of course, the, the angel is giving the, the charge here, the instructions that this is for a time in the future, many days, um, implying, of course, a, a, a quite a period of time. But let's look at Daniel 12, then, in verses 4 and 9. We're going to see the same thing, and this is at the end of his writing, <clears throat> where D Daniel wants to know every single thing about what's going to be here, but he's not going to know. Uh, he's going to go so far and as far as he needs to go, as far as God wants him to reveal to who? The Jews, right? The covenant people. This is for them. Daniel 12, 4. And thou, Daniel, close the words and seal the book to the time of the end. By the way, that's not the end of time. That's the time of the end, okay? There is a difference. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't even call it subtle. Until many are taught, and knowledge is increased. <laughs> well, that kind of kind of explains it, doesn't it? Okay. Time of the end. Well, 
Uh, let's look at verse 9 before we talk at it much more. Verse 9. And he said, the angel, of course, Go, Daniel. Now, this was because of verse 8. And it says, And I heard, but I understood not. And I said, O oh Lord, what will be the end of these things? You see, he wanted to know the conclusion. He wanted to see the end of it. He wanted to make sure that things would be would would come to a good end. But these things were not for him to know at that time. And that's why the angel responds and says, Go, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed up to the time of the end. Because because of why? Verse ten. Many must be tested. Oh, there's a lot of testing in the years between Daniel's writing and, and this occurrence. Many must be tested and thoroughly whitened, that is purified, and tried with fire and sanctified, but the transgressors shall transgress and none of the transgressors shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Okay, and it goes into the particulars of the time period. Absolutely. Very, so, very, very precise time indicators there, too. Very precise time indicators. Um, time of the end. That is, the end of the covenant that God had with the Jewish people. Abraham and the patriarchs, the law, the regulations, the time of time of the Jews, right up to uh, how the apostles spoke. Uh, the apostles spoke uh, as the days that they lived in, as the last days. And you know, this is one of the most misunderstood things we find in the reading of the New Testament. Uh, that phrase will be read, and then they'll stop and start talking about the futuristic times of sometime far, far away, as though that's what the apostle was referring to. That's not what he was, none of them was referring to any time uh, far, far distant. It was, they were saying they lived in the last days. These occurrences, these occurrences were for the last days, the last days of the Jews. That was the apostles' world, the covenant uh, of the, the Jewish covenant under the law. And then came the Messiah. And the Jews knew that at the coming of the Messiah brought a conclusion of the covenant, judgment, and, and, and reward. They knew that all those things fit together very closely. Historians today just forget about what, what they knew 2,000 years ago as though they never, it doesn't make any difference, but it does. Even John the Apostle calls it, when he says, little children, it is the last hour. I believe him. All referring to the covenant people, the Jews, and the new order that was coming, um, the kingdom of Christ. Now, so much sense. I, 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 Wonder how complete it was taught in the synagogues. I wonder. I wonder how much emphasis was put on the Messiah in the teachings when they went to the temple to worship and you know to read. 
I really do wonder, and, and, and it, doesn't this give new emphasis to us about when Christ went and taught? Those must have been, that must have been some stuff going on there. There were some pages getting turned right then. Yeah. But even the, Neil, the angel said, those that trans, transgressors will not understand it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, 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 that's true. That means they're too full of themselves to care. If you remember when Jesus uh, went to the synagogue in Nazareth and rose to speak, they handed him the scroll to read, and he turned to, I believe it was Isaiah 61, uh, which was a prophetic passage, and he read down so far, I think it's Isaiah 61, he read down, or, or I, I might be wrong about that. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, what, whatever, and he, he was quoting directly, reading directly from the, the, the passage. And then he concluded with the remarks, in your hearing, this is, being, this is fulfilled. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, pro- proclaim the, the, you know, the day of the Lord and that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, Immediately so challenged on that. So. Why, why wasn't he totally accepted at that very moment as being exactly what he said he was? But no, that's not how it went. And not didn't, not didn't in help. large part, in yeah. small part, yes. He did. He did have many that I'm sure there are, there were those that heard that that day and and never wavered from thinking that he was exactly who he said he was. But I think that was a, the minority in, in those days. Great. So we look at the days of Daniel and the writings of the prophecy, and things are being uh, sealed up, close the words, go no further. Uh, for these things are for many days. And that a lot of testing is going to occur between the two points. You see, God, God understood what was coming, but men didn't. So let's look at what John wrote and what John was instructed to do and say in Revelation. I want to start with Revelation 1.1 because Revelation 1.1 tells us exactly what, is, what follows in the rest of this writing? The time frame, the subject, uh, and certainly the, the, it, it gives it some sort of a, uh, a dating, if you will, and not, not the date of the writing necessarily. We, we know that from other sources. But it tells us what time, period of time this is going to be. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show unto his servants, even the things which, which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. And on it goes from there. The revelation, the testimony of Jesus Christ as to what his father has told him. And now he is telling John that, that what? That all would know as soon as this writing is complete, um, and it was completed about 62, 63 A.D., uh, before the war in Jerusalem, before the end of the covenant. Uh, and I, I sincerely believe this from the, the historical accounts that, that are out there to look at. 
and to understand. And, and as a matter of fact, it's pure logic that that's why why write a revelation, uh, a, a warning of the eclipse of, of the apocalypse and and the end of things. Why write this 50, 60 years after the fact? That makes no sense whatsoever. So. A little more detail, uh, Revelation 21.5. We'll just skip all of Revelation, what it, what it says. Go to the end, because I'm trying to make a point here. And he that sitteth on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he saith, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Did he want this recorded? Did God want it recorded? It reminds me of what, that's almost what God, exactly what God said to Moses in the tent. Write. Write this down. And I read a book uh, years, um, oh, many years ago that said that um, Moses was uh, illiterate. He couldn't read or write. <laughs> I thought, well, the prince of Egypt, illiterate. I don't think so. Uh, I think he could read and write probably a number of languages, and uh, he was perfectly capable of reading and writing, and especially listening. Uh, but here, and of course, he had scribing going on. I think Joshua may have written a lot of this down while he was there with Moses. But write. God says write, and that's what you do. For these words are faithful and true. So let's look at uh, chapter 22.10. And he saith unto me, Seal not up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now, as some have said, you need about three PhDs to dismiss that to a time of Never, never land. Um, you have to understand that if it was at hand when this was written, then if you find out when it was written, we have to follow with the logical conclusion that, it, that, that well, for one thing, it has happened before we read it. <laughs> um, and very, very much as, it, as Revelation all, all, you know, so often right. does with Daniel in 10.11, we have the unrighteous, let them be unrighteous. Mm -hmm. And the righteous, let them be righteous, and so on and so forth, just like we have with the transgressors. Yeah, we have the same terminology in chapter 22 of Revelation. Many of the similar concepts about the same mm -hmm. time frame. Dif right. Still different, still isolated to, their, to themselves. But mm -hmm. And this is the condition of man. It, mm -hmm. God understands it. Uh, now... This isn't something, you know, we, we could take verse 11 of that chapter and and uh, and, and, and run off, yeah, and run off and create a whole new program of letting the unrighteous continue to be unrighteous. But that's probably not the goal of somebody who knows the truth. Um, but you, they at least, at least it would be nice to present the truth to them. At that point because they have free will and they are sovereign in themselves, it's their decision to make. That's why it says, let him do. 
That right. means turn him over to how he wants to go. Mm-hmm. Let him do it on his own. Let him do. And it's, it's, that, it's, that <clears throat> it's repeated that way each time. Let him be. And he that is righteous, let him do. He that is holy, let him be. And each of those lets means it becomes a voluntary issue. Yes. You cannot force, manipulate, put in civil law, anything to alter that that will matter. It will, you can do all that you want, but it won't make any changes. Mm-hmm. That's what's so ridiculous about uh, conservatism or liberalism today. It can't be changed by any law or the lack of law that are instituted. It just can't be done. Let him be, let him be, let him be. Let people do what they think they want to do, and you can't change it, you can't alter it, you have to let them go. And until we see that, we'll never see the victory of the church. Yeah. And until we, we realize that if God doesn't force people to do the right thing uh, at the right time, how can we? Or how should we? Yeah, Christ himself wanted to gather the people together under his wing, yeah. like a mother hen. But, they're, but, they're, but they would not. But there are some events that I think would be a fantastic study at some point, and that's those who were not willing, who were called into service, say it, forced into service. And I'm going back to uh, Jonah. Uh in large part, uh, the Apostle Paul, Saul. Uh, you know, these each of, those, each of those cases, excepting Jonah, because he was in a different age, but Paul's situation was that he says, I was set apart by God before I knew about it. He was predestined to do what he did. He had no choice in the matter except that he could accept it or refuse it. Yes. As all the apostles were. As all of the apostles. And I was just getting ready to say that. And that, 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 that part right there, that, that could confuse somebody. That could that, really confuse people. That's, a, that's Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, the first 12 verses are talking about the predestination of the apostles of Christ. Pronouns. No one else. Yes, pronouns, pronouns, pronouns. No Neil, one else. Neil, you're right. You're right, and, and Paul has to be included in that group, and that's why you say that Jonah was a, a slightly different story. But he was, let's just say he was heavily in, you know, encouraged regardless of age. But I'll, I'll guarantee you, you could go to any congregation, nearly any, I won't exclude any, but if you went there and began a study on Ephesians and came to the conclusion that I just suggested that the first 12 verses have nothing to do with any person outside of who's mentioned, the Father, the Son, and the Apostles, you, they would be shocked to hear it because they've never heard it. And they don't understand it, but it's, simple, it's simply how you just need to define the Scripture by the rules of interpretation that are there for everybody. Uh, and the scripture is clear. I mean, it's, it's a simple matter. It's like you said, you follow the grammar. So that's why we have such difficulty with this. Why is Daniel completely ignored typically? 
by the way, I just heard an announcement on a radio somewhere about either a, some sort of a book or some sort of a movie being made about Daniel. Daniel and the Bell or something like that. Now, when they say Bell, I'm thinking about the god of uh, the Babylonians, oh. Bell. I'm not sure that's what they mean. Uh, but I heard that and I was shocked because it was, uh, it, it was like this has never been spoken about. Of course, Daniel in general is not spoken about, except a few little verses nitpicked here and there out of the book, a half a dozen or so, and that's presented as pro- prophetic evidence for one thing or another. <clears throat> well, but, it's a sure thing that Tom Cruise is going to be cast as good King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> well, certainly has the financial qualifications. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? King of the world. <laughs> oh, yeah, it could be quite an event. You didn't realize it was so short. <laughs> now remember, all of these things in Revelation were written about A.D. 62-63, presented to the, to the Jews and to the Christians of that day, just before the war in Jerusalem started, about 66. But that was just in Jerusalem. The war against the Jews and against Christians had begun many years ago, by uh, uh, Nero, Caesar. Um, so this is just a progressive, and of course a conclusion, the fall of Jerusalem and the end of the covenant in A.D. 70. So we're very close here. But <clears throat> so you see how these things really fit together. Uh, they, they, they bolster each other as to being part of the same thing, part of, of the revelation, part of, everything that was necessary to know about that first covenant period through all of his days, coming to a conclusion, followed by the unshakable kingdom that was left, Christ, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. I'm sure that a, just a, a cursory reading of the Bible will not give many a real understanding of the order of events that is so important when people begin to make, well, unfortunately, uninformed conclusions considering, concerning the Bible, the doctrinal things of the Bible, the truths of the Bible, or the purpose of the Bible. You see, when you, when you don't have the, when you only have that cursory look um, and, and not a real uh, logical, orderly uh, look through it and an understanding of it, then it's going to take a while to get there. When you make these conclusions about God's uh, doctrine or, or his uh, order or provision for man or the purpose of the whole thing, you're going to come to probably a wrong conclusion. And that is a, that's disastrous. Because a lot of times, you know, once we make our mind up, well, you know, that's that's in stone now, you know. But it shouldn't be in stone, not when it comes to the Scripture, because we never stop learning. Because, you know, we do have the key to understanding, as David has been saying. There's a key to understanding the Word of God. And it's through a real study of what's actually being said. The original language, the grammar, 
the rules of interpretation, all the things that are necessary that people study Shakespeare every day of the year <clears throat> under, these, under this aspect. What did Shakespeare really mean by this word? What did this English word mean back when he wrote it? They do it all the time because they want to know what Shakespeare was writing about. What's different with the scripture? Nothing. Except the scripture is more important. You know, I mean, I'm interested in Romeo and Juliet, but probably not that much. Uh, I'm really interested in this, Hark. though. Huh? Hark. Hark. Yeah, there you go. What did he mean by hark? Yeah. Well, Neil, that's a great point because, you know, I was taken to church as a young man and I basically got force-fed the Gospels for 18 years and, and no, no, no backtracking into Daniel, no backtracking into the prophecies, absolutely no teachings on other than the fact that we knew that he was a Jew, no teaching on Jerusalem, on Israel and its role, no teaching on that. It was uh, it was a fairy tale. Can I um, modify that a bit? Yes, sir. You go. You come up in during my time. You know, eighty-two years, and uh, <clears throat> you see that there are after World War II, there was a tremendous influx to the Restoration Movement churches. And so the people coming in there to be audience relevant, the preaching took place to address the needs, the wants, the hunger of those people. So a lot of things were not dealt with that we can deal with today because we're not in that same frame of mind. As we as what's that? Society is different now. Society is different. Conditions are a whole, whole lot different. And then you took at the mid-age. Then, because of the laxity of uh, doctrine in the early World War II age, then, then uh, in, in the Middle Ages, is the uh, barbers and the hunts and those people, then the emphasis became on doctrinal issues. You know, we've got to get straight not only our lifestyle and only, you know, all of those kind of things, but we, we need to get a handle on other things such as what the Bible teaches about these matters yeah. doctrinally. Yeah. To become orthodox in doctrine, yeah. that means straight in your thinking. So that became the emphasis of the mid-period. Now today, where are we? We have to have a reawakening now, or we're going to lose it, because we're not addressing audience relevance at all today, and we're going to lose what we, and I mean, the, I'm talking about the church at whole, the church, church in the whole picture, and there may be a few isolated pictures, but religion as, Christianity as a whole, outside of denominationalism, has simply lost its footing and it has nowhere to go. So we see that changing of the message. And, and Nolan, what you're saying is so true, and it, it should have been incorporated perhaps, but the reason why it wasn't 
is that we had other issues at that time that we may not have today, but because those issues weren't developed, we have some gaps, big gaps in our theology and and in our Christian application to life. Big, big gaps. I think that it's, you know, it's the changing of society, the changing of our environment, the changing of our culture, all of which is neither good nor right in and of itself. But the gospel has to have something that that brings as a magnet that attracts people to it in every generation. And that is going to change with every generation. And if we don't keep in touch with that, then we're going to lose what we got. We have to keep in touch. And we have to become audience relevant and not just theological. So our, our, our shift, needs, in my opinion, our shift needs to change so that we can stay on course but not leave anything out but embrace more. We need to embrace more of the truth of God and particularly in the beauty of His harmony. I'm done. Alex, uh, how did you word it about the conditions for miracles? You said it once a few weeks ago. The condition for a miracle is it's to, to... you know, uh, to confirm a supernatural, something supernatural to confirm a supernatural message. See, we have that in Daniel. Yeah. We have it with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We have it with Daniel in the lion's den. We have it. Man, that's the big resistance to Daniel in the modern theology. Yes. Because that sort of thing they they really don't want to deal with. Well, how about the miracles of Moses? Well... Miracles in general are problematic for theologians. Uh, you either accept it, yeah, and, and, and that's a very not all. It's a very worldly way. But I, I like David's answer. Be, that audience relevance. We have to be aware of the audience relevance in the scriptures all the way through the generations. What were they thinking? What did they hear right up to the day? What are people hearing right now? You know, but it, thinking of the church of the 50, 60 years ago, the issue was you're a sinner and you need salvation. They weren't talking too much about prophecy. They were talking a lot about your condition, your relationship with God. Do you have one or not? They spent all their time on it. And they were fighting a battle royal because the apostles' doctrine, the terms of pardon, were constantly under attack by the so-called Christendom trying to minimize, add to, or or take away from. And that was the struggle. (laughs) I'm not saying that struggle doesn't still exist. No, Neil, you said it. I mean, you hit it on the head. But uh, that's where we're at. And... You know, just the, the time frame we have in this room, <clears throat> we, we have heard and seen different things. And it's, it's a progression. And that's why this isn't an easy thing to do, study the Bible. It takes a lot of effort. Um, but here's the thing. 
if we read the Bible in a cursory way only, and then we don't understand what it's saying, is that our fault or God's fault? Well, it's ours, isn't it? And, And really, people just have to understand to take personal responsibility here. Um, I'm not going to criticize him for a cursory reading because that's where you start. Everyone does. you got to go, go deeper. We need Daniel's writings to understand the revelations uh, from, the, from Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. We need Daniel to understand what was happening then and to see it come to a, con- a conclusion. And we need revelation, as it's written by John, to complete the prophecies of Daniel, to fill in those places that were closed up, close up these words. We need revelation. This is how God has ordained it to be. So you think about it. Why did God do that? Why, why did he close it up, part of it, and, and then he reveals it later? Well... I have to come to the conclusion this was God's way. And if it's God's way, I'm going to have to, matter of fact, I'll just say it. It's the best way. It's probably not the way I would have done it. You know, I like all the facts laid out in front of me. All, all at once. Give it to me. We can't, we can't forget about the time frame and the people that, this, that, yeah. people that were living through this. What a confirmation... Uh, from, from God to see somebody like Daniel in power yeah, and to have him as respected as he was and, and write about these things. These people who were, you know, they were under captivity. They were subjects. That's, and it yeah. was a reality uh, that I'm assuming that they understood by the time it was over mm-hmm. pretty well. Um, it's and also amazing that Daniel wasn't the only one. No, no, not the only one. No. As a matter of fact, you know, Daniel, is, because it's so concise and it's right there, all, all put together. But we've got to understand, these prophecies are all through the Old Testament. Yes. And, and, it's, and the, all they've ever really been is just taken out of context. Taken out of context. Out of their cradle. Yeah, they, out of their cradle. They never, they, they never consider, when was this written? Who, who wrote it? Well, who does it concern? They're just taken out of context and we can't learn that way that's not good information we're going we're gonna to get a failing grade on end times if we do it the old fashioned way so as um, in conclusion as far as uh, the free will of man I think it's so important through this because this is what it's all about God's giving man a chance to make their own decision all the way through testing and otherwise. But it goes all the way back to God speaking to Cain. He asked Cain why he was looking so poorly, acting so down. And then he told him, if you do right, will you not be pleasing to me, you know? And he told him that Satan that uh, was waiting at his door to become sinful. For that, and then he concluded the little talk with Cain here with the idea that Cain had the ability to resist Satan and every bad thought. It was all on him. 
God didn't say, now, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to zap you and you're not going to do that. No. God allowed Cain to make his own decision because God has respect for his creation and he went, he went on to do the things that he did. And as soon as man understands that it's, it's our decision for us between us and God, we don't have to. Re- we can't rely on something else in the middle. That we're going to come to a better understanding of His Word. So let us pray. We thank you, Father, for this time, and through Your Word, we come to understand, Father, the great truth that You have bestowed upon us through Your Word. May we continue in it, Father and come to be more and more a better servant in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.